This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by New Relic and Amazon Web Services. This week, I chat with Austin Collins about the story of the serverless framework. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 66. Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy Daly and this is Serverless Chats. Today I'm speaking with Austin Collins. Hey Austin, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. So you are the CEO and founder of Serverless Inc., uh, the creators of the serverless framework. So I'd love it if you could give me a little bit of your background um, and just in case somebody you know doesn't know uh, what, the, what Serverless Inc. is all about. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> Quick background on on us. You know, we make a serverless framework, which is an application framework that makes it really easy to build applications on serverless cloud infrastructure. That is infrastructure that's auto scaling. You never have to pay when it's idle, um, and scales pretty massively. And the goal is to help developers deliver software that has radically low overhead and all these serverless qualities um, at the application level as a whole. So that's our goal. We make a serverless framework. That's what we kicked off with, and. Uh, I was excited to chat with you because I was thinking it might be interesting not to do just such a technical conversation, which I'm sure you've done a, a handful of already, but uh, maybe talk about the history of serverless framework a little bit because the project is now five years old. I'm in, you know, I, I think I'm, this is my fifth year of serverless development, which is crazy to think about because it's, it's, it feels like we're so early in this journey in general. But um, I was thinking, you know, it might be interesting to talk about kind of the history of like how things got started, how we got started and our perspective of just like kicking off the serverless movement and kind of, you know, what that looked like in the early days and like the, the crazy days where we didn't, I don't think anyone knew how big of a deal this was potentially going to be or that this would have become a big, you know, category for cloud or maybe even the cloud itself. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, when you when you reached out to me to to do this podcast, I thought yeah, this might be a great opportunity just to kind of tell that story, at least from our perspective, my perspective, because I think it's a it's a fascinating one, not just for technical people, but for makers and entrepreneurs, anyone who's trying to get something off the ground. I think there's just a lot of interesting lessons learned along the way. Yeah, no, I, I think that I, I think that is something that is really, really important for anybody in the serverless space. And I think anybody who's developing cloud applications today is to look back and see, I mean, where we were five years ago, because it has dramatically changed in terms of the technology that we have available to us, the the building blocks that we have available to us. And and also I think, you know, JAWS as it was originally, and we'll get into some of that, that you know, the original serverless framework, um, you know what that was able to do compared to what it can do now, but also compared to what's available now, and just the massive explosion of, of, of development tools and, and observability tools and everything else that has kicked off, uh, you know, open source projects uh, beyond the framework that have kicked off that, that really have built this amazing community. So, so let's start there. Let's go way back to the beginning. Like, this we're talking 2014, right? Lambda is GA, or sorry, preview. Lambda is still in preview, yep. and then um, and then what what happened? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, okay. Going way back, you know, this a lot of the credit first goes out to the Lambda team, like the visionaries over there who you know, right. kind of basically disrupted 
how they do compute over at AWS, which, you know, I've heard a lot about that story. I listened recently to your podcast with uh, Tim Wagner, kind of talking about the mm -hmm. early days of that. But really, like a lot of what we're do, doing here with serverless framework and building out our, our developer tool suite is just kind of standing on the shoulders of the effort that those people did, which I'm sure was hard figuring out what that looks like inside of an organization as big as Amazon. And uh, so our story really, I'd say they did a lot of the hard stuff and a lot of the really meaningful stuff. And kind of my story starts right at when they did that announcement at reInvent 2014, yeah, when it was in preview. And I was looking around um, at everybody else and there was definitely some excitement uh, and I was just personally so enthusiastic. There's something, it just hit a note in me that, uh, that you know, still is, is driving me to this day and inspiring me to this day to build great developer tools and really capitalize on what the, the potential I first saw when it came out uh, and still feel today. Right. And that is like, you know, this, for me, it was, I, I guess, I, I don't know about you, but I actually never got into this to, um, to be a developer. That was not my personal goal when I was just getting started. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I've always felt more like a, a creative type, to be frank, and more of an entrepreneur. And the programming, the development was kind of a, a means to an end, uh, but also felt like potentially the greatest skill set to have at, you know, at a right. time where the cloud you know, programming gives you the ability to make anything to solve any problem almost. And um, and I think you know a lot of my story and you know all the time that's gone into the serverless framework by the, the the same goes for the community members and whatnot. I think there's something similar where the the people who are attracted to this are very much product focused. They really care about making things. They care a lot about the customer experience. And a lot of the technology is cool, but to some extent, we kind of wanted to get out of the way so we could focus on the right. you know the customer facing experience. And that's kind of always been a, a strong theme for me personally. I see that in the service community everywhere. We've talked about it a lot. And it was the thing I felt when Lambda first came out, you know, and I was just, I got so excited. It felt like for the first time, there was really a technology where I could just put any logic out there and it would run for me, auto scale and never charge me unless, um, uh, unless I was running. And, the, and so that felt like amazing power. And I was looking around, there's definitely some excitement it was so early in those days. I think, I think AWS, maybe you remember this better than I do, but they were pitching it as like event-driven code, kind of glue code. And there was no serverless right. category. There was no serverless buzzword right. or anything like that. It was kind of just to stitch together, you know, kind of shuttle some data from one place to another, you know, largely from S3 and had very limited use cases. Uh, at the time. Right. I mean, if you remember all the way in, in 2015, even once it became generally available, there was no API gateway mm -hmm. to connect. Um, so you weren't able to do those web use cases, which again, are probably one of the most prevalent oh, yeah. things um, that serverless is yep. doing now. Yeah, very limited. And I don't think all the pieces were there. Enough of the pieces were there for people to get kind of the, the overall vision, maybe how meaningful it was or at least how meaningful I felt it was. So I, I went away from that reInvent trying to chat up my network, my colleagues, my friends and say, and see if they're as excited about this new compute service as I was. And I was thinking like, you know, what if we take this new compute service and pair it with other infrastructure that has the same auto scaling kind of never, you know, pay per use qualities. Like we could deliver software that as a whole has a, a really low operational cost, right? Almost like these set it and forget it architectures. And that again, kind of, 
touched on you know, the, a theme that I really like, and that's just the ability to build more and manage less, right? And uh, so I was going around in my network trying to raise a lot of excitement about this and just see if people were equally excited. And there, there was some, there was some, you know, again, early days, some people were into it, but not a lot of people cared then. And, um, <clears throat> and so I kind of took it upon myself to see, to see what would happen if you could actually take Lambda and build entire applications on it and, uh, you know, see what that process looked like and see if it was possible. And right at that point in those like early personal experiments, I ran into the problems of kind of the serverless architecture that we're still dealing with today. And that is that this is a distributed system. At the end of the day, you're actually working mm -hmm. with a lot of cloud services, perhaps more cloud services than any other architecture out there. Because if you really want to build a application like a web app, you're going to need Lambda, you're going to need to work with IM, you're going to need to work with API Gateway, you might need to work with uh, DynamoDB, um, CloudFront, you know, maybe Route 53, a lot more. There's just a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff in there. And so, it, you know, the, the value prop was like deliver software that's you know, super efficient, but how do you actually take all these pieces and easily put them together to form a nice application experience that developers would really enjoy? And that's kind of, you know, that was the, the initial problem that set me off on my journey. Um, and I think it's the problem that we still are trying to figure out today. It's like, how do we streamline serverless development, make it as zero friction um, as possible? So I start, yeah, so I started uh, working on the framework and this is just a personal nights and weekends project. And uh, at the time I, I just moved up to the Bay Area. I was still pretty new. I'm originally from Los Angeles. And I think, uh, you know, I was working on another startup at the time and also building out a backend inventory management system for a larger company. And it was just, you know, spec and this was a personal experiment. And I think that, uh, Somehow I had published something to GitHub and Jeff Barr found it. So Jeff Barr <laughs> is amazing as, you know, as we all know, I don't know how that guy does it, but he's looking at everything at all times. And somehow when I was just kind of publishing right. some stuff to GitHub, um, he found it. <laughs> and I don't know, I still don't know how he does it. If he has like an army of interns or something like that, but he found it and he, he sent me an email. He's like, this looks this looks pretty cool. You know, maybe would you be interested in like talking about this at an AWS event or, you know, us uh, promoting it on the blog or something. And uh, I was, I was pretty honored because you know, I've been a big AWS fan for a long time, user for a long time. And uh, you mm -hmm. know, the fact that Jeff Barr was reaching out, you know, based on this thing I was working on over the weekends was, uh, was so cool. And I, and I told him, I said, well, uh, let me work on it a little bit more and finish it before <laughs> you, you kind of push it out to the Jeff Barr audience, right? Because you know how massive right. that is. And I told him, I was like, okay, give me like a few weeks to, uh, to really flesh this, this thing out. So, so, so where were you, where were you though, when you were, you were starting to work on this, right? Because API gateway came, I think it was in early 2015 or mid 2015. Um, I, I think it wasn't until 2016 that there was even VPC support. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was just all kinds of things that have gotten, I mean, it's really crazy to think back at how limited it was back then to where it is now. And when I first started using JAWS, um, you know, the, the original framework, I know that it had API gateway support in there. So that must have been around version 0.4 maybe or something like that. But it, what was the... What what was available at that time when you first started building it? Not much. I mean, if you if, you know, looking around, it's there's still a lot of you know some, some definite challenges there in the architecture, um, and 
But way back then, it was so much harder. <laughs> it was crazy hard. And I had done a few versions of this even before API Gateway came out. Um, and there were like, there's, I think there was one okay. other project. I can't remember the name of it. And it was kind of really, really strange also trying to work around the complexity of using this new infrastructure that was just so raw and early. Um, but there were a few versions that I worked on before API Gateway came out. And then when API Gateway came out, obviously that was the missing piece for one of the major use cases now that is the, you know, the backend APIs, microservices, all that. So worked on it a lot. And then API Gateway came out, I think July, 2015, it was July. Something like that. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. And then I did a, a whole new version of it um, and, you know, started, I think it was that time where we, I really kind of honed in on the essence of the framework. And that was, you know, okay, there's a lot of cloud infrastructure that you have to work with and developers have to know about. Now, unfortunately, developers don't really like working with a lot of cloud infrastructure. Um, they like kind of building apps and getting stuff out there as fast as possible. And, you know, the least amount of distraction in their flow as they're working on something, creating something. And so my goal was to kind of hide the infrastructure complexity, complexity first and foremost. And by the time API Gateway came out, I think that the opinion that was honed in on was that serverless applications are a simple story of functions and events. And it's like, that mm -hmm. is the essence of a serverless application. And that whole idea is how the framework is gonna be designed. And so that's what you get in a serverless.yaml file. You get that, you know, that functions property. And there you could list out all your Lambda yep. functions and you know, just add in your business logic, your code. And then there's an events property where you could hook up anything to trigger that function. And while it, it's a bit strange to define an API as like an HTTP event triggering a function, um, it just right. brought order to a pretty kind of chaotic, especially back in those days, type of architecture where the developer could just you know, quickly look at it, understand that story. And with a lot of kind of abstract configuration syntax, the framework also something it did that's a bit different than a lot of other application frameworks is it helps you kind of structure your code, but it also provisions the cloud infrastructure, right? So it's this kind of weird hybrid thing. And the goal was, you know, don't let developers have to, don't make them have to know a lot about the infrastructure. Come out with a nice kind of application model that is, you know, allows you to focus on logic and what triggers that logic to run. Yeah, and I think it's important to note too that that idea of event-driven applications. I mean, that's not particularly new. There were other, you know, when we were doing, um, uh, you know, even rest or microservices, or we were doing um, what's the other thing that I'm thinking of there? Um, you know, uh, uh, service-oriented architecture, things like that. That you had a lot of events flying yeah. around. Um, but those building those types of applications were ridiculously complex because you had to have a deep knowledge of you know this idea of some sort of event. Uh, bus that was running there. You had to have the individual uh, microservices set up as different components. You had to know all the different ways in which these could communicate. And one thing, and I don't know if the serverless framework deserves credit for this, but I'm going to give you credit for this, was that paradigm shift of saying, I'm a developer, I want to write code, and I just want to think of it in terms of, all right, how does my code get triggered, right? What's the thing that triggers my code? Because if you look at how uh, CloudFormation was structured to do and you know provision API Gateway, I mean, obviously the SAM, you know, the SAM, which is the, the serverless application model that AWS came out with, they essentially used what what the serverless framework had come up with that sort of idea of functions and then having the triggers against the functions. So. I think that's a really, really good way to think of it because you're right. Most developers, 
I mean, I work with a lot of developers and most of them had no idea what was happening behind the scenes. All they were like is, here's my code, you know, make it run somewhere. Um, and that was throwing it over the wall to a completely different team. And that has, for the most part, especially with, with you know, full-fledged or full-stack serverless applications, that's gone away. Yeah, yeah. yep, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to talk about New Relic. I know, when it comes to things like observability and tracing, you're probably thinking I should talk about Datadog, Prometheus, or even OpenTelemetry. And a month ago, I would have totally agreed with you. But New Relic did something a little out there. They literally reworked everything. They've actually been listening when people talk about blind spots, being stuck with a dozen different tools, or getting hit with hidden costs. So first, they went open source, making it so that you can actually instrument whatever you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole entire stack in one place, including your serverless workloads. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's just one UI with all the tools you need. Plus, they completely changed their pricing to a consumption-based model so you can easily predict your bill. Now, I love this pricing model because it scales as my cloud applications scale, just like with serverless. And best of all, there's a perpetual free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. You can try it and make sure it works for you before it costs you anything. So if you want observability made simple, New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check out their new platform at newrelic.com. Yeah, it, it just seemed right <laughs> at the time. It just seemed like... <laughs> You know, there was just a lot of chaos and it needed some simple, simple story, simple way to think about it, to bring order to that. And looking back, like even at the time, it was just so weird to, yeah, again, define your API like that and stuff. But, um, you know, also, I think we were just so excited about Lambda in general and just its event-driven qualities and whatnot. I mean, it's it's a really amazing thing. You know, maybe this is kind of far out there, but it's never been easier to write code that reacts to events. Right, you could just go put it in a Lambda function, deploy. You know, tonight I'll deploy a thousand Lambda functions. Right, to make a thousand different things, just sitting waiting for something to happen. And um, in some ways, I don't know. You know, maybe that's how humans work. Maybe that's how businesses work. They're just kind of logic sitting there, kind of waiting for events to happen, and then right. and then it runs. Um, and this felt like just a, such a nice natural model um, that could really scale and. Uh, uh, yeah, so it, it felt natural, um, you know, you know, looking back, you know, certainly fast forward ahead and we can you know, certainly dig in this later. Serverless has grown a lot. Uh, the use cases, the types of infrastructure, all that, you know, is that still uh, the right model? I don't know, but I will say that developers still love it. Like they get it so mm -hmm. easily. And most of them, you know, the interesting thing for us was when we first surveyed our audience, audience we realized that 30% of our users had never even used AWS before. And, and oh, they, wow. yeah, and they just okay. came, they came to the framework because I think it just surfaced the few things that you really need to know about on AWS and give you a, a simple model to deploy um, CF serverless architectures on, on Amazon. So that was, um, yeah, that was the theory back then. And again, it's just, just me working <laughs> nights and weekends on, you know, like how do, how do we, how do we bring order um, to this complex new architecture that has these great values, but unless we bring order to the architecture, no one's going to be able to uh, realize that value, that potential. And so that was the solution that, um, you know, that was designed. Now there's another part of this though, that's, it's kind of interesting to talk about and that's uh, the marketing. 
And uh, hmm. this is, you know, marketing, I, I don't think is something that, you know, developers think a lot about or, you know, the cloud industry. I mean, you know, especially maybe more so back then. Now it's, you know, in increasingly important and whatnot. But, um, you know, my background I actually grew up outside of uh, Hollywood. And I, I was always okay. around, you know, growing up, um, I'm a self-taught programmer, but I was actually hanging around a lot of screenwriters and directors mm -hmm. and people in the film industry. And I had learned so much from them around uh, designing product for emotional impact. And that is, you know, taking something and uh, wrapping it in a story. Because uh, if you can get a right. great technical solution and wrap it in the emotional charge of a narrative or a story or like a, an idea, then I think you could really deliver a more profound effect on like the end user, uh, you know, more profound message and experience overall. And that's, you know, personal product philosophy is kind of this weird, I had this weird hybrid of being around that culture while also being uh, an engineer. Um, and now I, I think a lot about that in terms of how you bring products to market and whatnot. But looking back, I say that was an equal, equally important, if not more important piece of this whole thing. And because I spent mm -hmm. probably just as much time trying to come up with this architect, you know, this framework and this technical solution, right? Um, as I did, you know, designing some marketing and whatnot. So hence, you know, for those who don't know, the service framework was originally called Jaws, and it had this, you know, cool shark mascot icon and the, the you know, the big bold all caps Jaws text. And I had recycled that branding from another project. I'm also, a, you know, my background's in design, motion graphics. Um, and I had recycled that branding from another project, but I was, I guess I was kind of trying to find a way to embody how big I felt this, this architecture was and this framework mm -hmm. was, right? I was right. trying to like personify it in a way that uh, felt like a blockbuster. <laughs> and Jaws was kind of like one of the original blockbuster films way back in the day. And, sure. um, and I, I, I wanted to felt like a, a big deal. And so, you know, I, I taken some of the, that, that mascot, the branding, all that stuff and wrapped it in this, you know, this cool experience. But the last piece of that, probably the most important piece of that was the term serverless, right? Cause it, it, these days mm -hmm. the word was not really around at all. Like, no, it's still Lambda was right. event driven code, uh, glue code and, um, and, but I had read while, you know, while I told Jeff Barr, I was like, okay, give me a few weeks or something. And, you know, let me try and figure this out. I had read a blog post on the Amazon compute uh, blog from Tim Wagner. And it was the first time I ever saw the serverless buzzword, uh, buzzword but yeah. the serverless word in general. And he had wrote in there, like right buried in the middle of the blog post, there was one sentence and that was, you could use AWS Lambda to build entirely serverless applications. And as soon as I saw that word, I thought, that's a great word. I, I love that. Right. Not sure what it means. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I don't think we know what it means yeah, now, but sure. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a whole other podcast debating that, right? <laughs> right, exactly. But um, the, you know, the developer in me, the maker, you know, the, the person who, who just mm -hmm. you know, wants to you know, hopefully build cool things one day. I love that word. Because it meant to me like the technology yep. that kind of gets out of your way and, you know, less management, all that stuff. So I loved it. And I started putting it with the JAWS branding all over the project. So and, and there's I, I totally admit a lot of over the top uh, propaganda. <laughs> but, 
right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it was uh, JAWS, the monstrously scalable serverless application framework was kind of the tagline with the shark icon and he's like coming out of the water trying right. to take a big bite of the text. And um, and then on the GitHub readme, there were some badges, 100% server free, uh, no servers guaranteed. And because you know, we're, we're kind of this badge-oriented society, right? Where we're looking at GitHub repos, right. okay, does this have all the badges I need? And you're at the market exactly. looking at all the badges on the product, you know? Um, so, and it was just over the top. It was just, it was fun. Like it was, you know, I yeah. wasn't really thinking about anything kind of later down the road. Um, and so before I had a chance to even talk to uh, Jeff Barr, I did the... Uh, um, the typical Hacker News post, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that was like a, on a Tuesday. I was about to go uh, out to lunch. And uh, um, and before I did that, I thought, you know, before I send this over to Jeff, I'll just put it on Hacker News real quick because it would be great sure. to get some feedback before, you know, Jeff Barr's audience and the AWS audience, you know, hear about this. Um, and I posted it and I just walked away you know, had, had a sandwich someplace and, uh, came back and, um, it, it front page immediately, you know, tons of upvotes, yeah. a ton of like enthusiasm. People were going, you know, they're pretty excited about it and, you know, had no idea this would happen or anything like that. It wasn't kind of you know, orchestrated. It was just such a casual thing. Um, and literally overnight, just, uh, it just, it, it caught on and it just kept picking up momentum, momentum, like nothing I've ever yeah. seen before. And, um, you know, I know you're a fellow entrepreneur and, uh, you know, developer, and I, I built so many things before this, right? So many right. projects, right? <laughs> but find it, find every successful project. There's like a hundred, like, you know, skeletons of Absolutely. projects. And, right. um, you know, sometimes like you, uh, sometimes I think there's you know, the, the notion of product market fit and, uh, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. maybe you get lucky and I think luck has a lot to do with it, timing, all that. Um, you, Absolutely. you just hit the, the nail on the head and, uh, it, it works. And all of a sudden, like, you know, it, when you see it, it, it really takes off and starts to form a life of its own. And it kind of almost becomes right. beyond your control. And it was just like that. Um, and it was a, a totally, totally, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, experience. And so um, I had two questions for you. One, um, did JAWS stand for something? Yes. So one of the projects I had recycled the branding from was just the Java, JavaScript um, AWS framework was was the goal. So I'm, I'm a big JavaScript okay. fan. And there was never, I mean, at the time, there just wasn't a good application framework for application framework for AWS, something that could just help developers be productive on AWS with, again, not knowing... Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot about the cloud infrastructure. It's kind of you know a big, a big theme of mine, and um, and especially for the JavaScript community. So I had kind of designed uh, a JavaScript application framework, but it was really early. I think I just worked on the, the branding and kind of got caught up with that yeah. before the project <laughs> was there even. So sure. uh, yeah, it was the JavaScript uh, application framework. But then you know when Lambda came out, recycled the branding, all that, and I, I kind of ditched the yeah. acronym because it wasn't. It, uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't as important. Right. Hi, everyone. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Amazon Web Services. Whether you're a startup, SMB, or enterprise, 
AWS is building serverless for everyone, and there's no better place to find in-depth serverless articles than on the AWS Compute blog. You'll find tons of great posts from all your favorite serverless developer advocates and engineers at aws.amazon.com blogs compute. There are two recent articles that I wanted to highlight. James Bezik has a great post on using Lambda layers to simplify your development process, which you can find at serverlesschats.com slash AWS Lambda layers. And Rob Sutter has a post about a new feature that introduced larger state payloads for AWS step functions. And you can find that at serverlesschats.com slash AWS state payloads. Find these and other great posts on the AWS Compute blog and learn how to get started with serverless and build more with less code. So then my other question is, um, when did you buy serverless.com? Um, okay. Yeah. So. And where am I jumping ahead too far? No, no, no. This is, this is, uh, this is a, a great question because it kind of starts going into the server, you know, going from JAWS to serverless framework in our, and establishing the company, of course. Um, so I think after that initial Hacker News post, things, uh, you know, I picked up a lot. And I was working hard just to promote it and, and get it out there. And, you know, people were, you know, really excited to hear about it. So I was doing a lot of events uh, in San Francisco. AWS has uh, one of the AWS lofts here. And I was mm -hmm. kind of showing the, I was demoing the framework almost every week. <laughs> and uh, I remember <laughs> like the first time I met Tim Wagner in person, he was, he was there doing a presentation on Lambda. And I just approached him like right before he was going on stage. I said, look, I built this great application framework. Like I'd, I'd love to just show it off. Will you give me some time on stage to just show the audience here? Oh, and Tim's so cool. He's just yeah. like, sure. <laughs> and I, I was pretty excited. You could probably <laughs> tell the enthusiasm. Um, and he, he probably had a hard time saying no to me at that point. because I was just so pumped at everything, <laughs> uh, everything about right. this project. And so, um, so he let me on and, you know, I, I presented there a lot and, uh, also reinvent too the you know, the Lambda team Tim and Ajay and um, they they told me at the last minute you want to go present at uh, reinvent and uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 20, 2015, yeah and I was like yeah absolutely um, and uh, I had even done you know one other cool kind of maybe growth hacking thing um, and or maybe just uh, uh, something that came from my my unconventional background but I had put together a Jaws serverless framework movie trailer and i don't know if you've ever seen it <laughs> i haven't uh, but send it to me and we'll put it in the show notes because yeah be great. so i took um i took clips from the movie jaws and i, I was going to show it on this but you know if you put this on youtube or something you know we'll probably get in trouble and there's like music in the background and stuff and it, <laughs> okay. it was like i just took clips from the movie jaws and i put these titles like you know serverless framework is coming for your infrastructure you know, intercut with the with the clips of like the shark from the movie, like underwater. You just see right. people swimming. You never see the shark, which is the yeah. uh, you know the, the early brilliance of Spielberg when he was making that movie. But you just see the innocent victim, shark POV right. and stuff. Um, and I had posted that before reInvent, and uh, I was so excited. You know, Werner, uh, the CTO over at Amazon, had retweeted it, and he's just I think he wrote like oh, this geez. is mesmerizing or something like that. And uh, um, anyway, it's just. Yeah, you know, I've been such an AWS fan for so long. It was so cool to kind of go through that whole experience uh, personally. And so, uh, however, at the same time, when this thing was, you know, picking up some momentum, that was when, I don't know if you remember, but there was also 
you know, equal amounts of kind of shade and doubt <laughs> and uh, being thrown at this whole kind of burgeoning kind of serverless movement thing. And there was, I, right. you know, I, I totally think, um, uh, well, first off, like first time I posted the framework on Hacker News, I think like the first comment or something was, this is a horrible idea. So, <laughs> and uh, I think that's how they that's how they say hello on Hacker News. But uh, <laughs> right, exactly. If you don't get criticized on Hacker News, I mean, exactly. what's the point? And uh, so you know, <laughs> some skepticism on the prod on uh, about the product and the project, whether it would actually you know work for real world use cases, which is you know par for the mm -hmm. course if you're building out something new. And um, you know, also early days, like you know, back then cold starts were more of an issue. You know, it took the the whole sure. architecture. To, Kind of get out of that uh, cold start kind of fear, uncertainty, and doubt territory. And now we, we hear right. about that less and less. AWS has done such a great job. All the other infrastructure providers have done such a great job to reduce that cold start. Um, I even remember when, when I was first chatting with the Lambda team, someone who will go unnamed was like, after you deploy their application, could you just ping their Lambda real quick to warm it up behind the scenes? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I feel right about that. Like, let's, you know, I'm sure it'll get right. better. Just, you know, keep doing the great work that you're doing. Um, and so, and then there was, we were doing, talking a lot about no ops back then, right? That was a big, mm -hmm. like, when, you know, I think everybody was kind of starting to get excited about Lambda and stuff. And the no ops term came out, which I don't think is right. And, uh, you know, for this architecture, yeah, I, I think it kind of alienated some people out there. So there was a lot of, um, <clears throat> a lot of uh, uh, kind of pushback on the, on the whole idea. And meanwhile, um, I was having some uh, challenges with the, with the logo and uh, the branding, right? Which, yeah. you know, uh, I should have known. I mean, it sounds like I should have known, right? Uh, but the, right. the trouble was not actually from Spielberg or Universal or something like that, because uh, trademarks um, are usually registered respective to a specific type of service or good. And there was right. another project out there, a screen reader application um, called JAWS, uh, which is essential um, to, to a lot of people uh, to gain access to computers and start writing code and stuff. And um, so I remember I put like when JAWS was kind of picking up some, some momentum, I, I decided to try, you know, I'll put a sponsor link on here and see if someone uh, you know, might send a donation. And the only donations I ever got were um, from people who kept sending me $1 donations and they always put the hashtag like change your name, you know, the visually impaired community or something. And I got a uh, bunch of these yeah. and then I started to get more and more threatening emails, um, which, you know, uh, to totally understandable. I mean, it's, uh, you know, right. uh, and it's like you're you're born into this world on someone else's property, and you've got to figure out how to <laughs> kind of carve out your own space. So I knew, like, almost immediately after it took off, it was going to be kind of a challenge. And while this brand yeah. and stuff, uh, I, I thought it was so beloved, it seemed by you know some of the users of the project and everything. Like I knew we had to change immediately. Um, and so, uh, also at the same time, I was uh, wanted to build a company around this. I mean. It very, very much felt to me, even back in the early days and more so today, that serverless is not this fad. It's the natural evolution of cloud, right? And that is like the cloud and serverless almost seem like they're on a path where they're going to merge soon. And, the, you know, serverless will just be the cloud, right? And that's just what you should expect from your cloud infrastructure. 
And I wanted to build a company around this because I felt like there was a huge opportunity to build a next generation set of developer tools to help developers you know, capitalize on this great, uh, super powerful cloud infrastructure. And so I was kind of going around doing some meetings uh, with the VC community around, uh, around the Valley. Um, also super funny, it turns out you know, when we raised, a lot of our investors are actually Docker's investors. And oh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, they were very much looking at us in the early days, almost as a, like a hedge, you know, to some extent, right? Right. And I remember uh, in my pitch deck, I had kind of the Jaws branding and everything. And, uh, and a lot of our community members in the early days were coming from the Docker community. Uh, because I think a lot of those people, you know, kind of didn't want realize, realize that they didn't want to think about containers. Um, they just want to think about product. They just want to think about, you know, building apps and getting it to market as fast as possible with the least amount of maintenance. Um, and so we were getting an influx of that crowd. And I had put on one of my pitch decks, um, like the Jaws branding. And there's just one slide where there was the Docker whale and it was upside down mm -hmm. in the ocean. And it... it had a huge bite taken out of it in this kind of cross crossover nice. its eye. <laughs> so, um, and then like the slide after that was like just jaws. Like that was the introduction to the pitch deck. Um, and yeah. I remember yeah. I, I was just, you know, looking at the VC's portfolio again, like right before the meeting. And I, I saw, oh, there are big investors in Docker. I took out that slide immediately. Um, but there was potentially some cool branding we were going to do around that. But um, anyway, so I was raising capital, trying to uh, turn this into a company, this kind of like this scrappy effort into a real company selling, you know, great dev tools to people who want to take advantage of all this. And so I had to change the name amidst all of this. And uh, again, it wasn't quite clear still that serverless was going to be the term, the category that it is today. All I knew is that... <clears throat> Serverless is the word that generated the emotional reaction in the user base, right? That was the thing that developers were responding to emotionally that got them to lean forward in their seat and say like, ooh, this is something different, right? And, right. Um, and so I had, but before I could, I had like 10 names and I was kind of running them by even some of the, uh, the potential investors. And I remember the feedback I got was serverless. Like, what does that even mean? Like, that, that, that sounds really weird, <laughs> right? And, and yeah. so, um, but I, I set my eyes on it and I, I thought, you know, well, I got to get the domain and, you know, and see if that's available. Got to have a great domain because um, in.com we trust, right? So I, you know, I started mm -hmm. the hunt for that and it took honestly two months of cold calling because I could not find who on the domain or anything like that. But two months of calling around trying to find this person and then like another month um, kind of negotiating. Um, because, you know, the person who owned it uh, kind of sensed maybe that, you know, there was some opportunities, you know, I was experienced, of course. Yeah. So that took a long time. And, you know, and it was still mm -hmm. just me working on this project, trying to build out the product, you know, the marketing, the promotion, you know, do the name change, um, do some meetings around Silicon Valley. And I had somehow been fortunate enough to kind of, um, you know, be able to, to get the domain name and, you know, then eventually like close a, a round of capital. And that was like, I think right at the end of, of 2015 and we became mm -hmm. server, you know, JAWS transitioned over to serverless framework and, um, uh, and we became serverless Inc. Uh, which, you know, was again, seemingly, we didn't know it was going to be so big, 
but you know, right. You know, now we're <laughs> in, and of course now we're in this awkward position where we're named the same thing as the category. Right. So right. I, you know, right. now I have all types of, I hear all types of creative ways of people, how they explain when they introduce the company or something, how they differentiate it from the, the architectural pattern, like the movement and the company. Yeah. So I, I know my 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 youngest daughter, um, who's twelve now, uh, for the longest time, you know, because again, I've I've, I've done uh, I've been using the serverless framework for so long, but then building things serverlessly and whatever. So she always was getting confused, like, wait, so serverless is a company, but also what you do? So do you work for serverless? I'm like, okay, let me try to explain it to you. But it is funny because I'm the same way. I'm like uh, serverless capital S or the serverless framework or start you. So it is it is a it is a bit of a a challenge, but I think good for you, right? If you default to be, you know, sort of that uh, uh, the namesake there. Yeah, it's it's good and, and also really confusing. The, the experience your daughter went through is the experience that almost everybody had to go through at some point, or a lot a lot of right. people had to go through. And I've got to you know take the time in the beginning of a lot of meetings and presentations to try mm-hmm. and you know provide some clarity now. <laughs> um, so you know it, right. it's very interesting, but uh, yeah, that was. You know, that was always that was always the word to me. And it was just based on, I think, something to do with my background, you know, thinking about how you design products for emotional impact and always looking at where, you know, what really generates excitement in end users at the end of the day. And it was it was that word. And I never forgot the first time I read it. The credit goes to Tim Wagner. You know, that's how I felt the first time I saw it. I don't, I don't know when you saw the serverless word for the first time. Do you do you remember? You know, it's funny. I don't. I honestly don't remember. I, I do remember that early in early 2016. So that must have been just as you were making that transition. Because I started using Jaws. I I don't remember when I found out about Jaws. Must have been late. Because uh, I had already started using Lambda. I'd already started playing around with Lambda as soon as it became GA. Um, like I didn't. I wasn't paying attention to the reinvent stuff, and so I didn't. I didn't know about it in 2014. But then once it became GA, I started using it. And then it was later on that year that I discovered JAWS. And then I continued to use JAWS, though, up and through the beginning of 2016. It wasn't until I think you switched over to the version 1 that you changed it to serverless. I, I, the, the history is just, again, so much has happened in five years. It's hard to keep track of all that stuff. But I don't know when I don't know when the term serverless made it into my mind. It just it's sort of like but I, I but I think you're right, though. It just it, it was exciting. It seemed like something different like it was a different category of things it wasn't event driven it wasn't you know soa or whatever it was it was something that was like its own category yeah 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 it's it's amazing it's been five years and all this stuff that's that's happened since but yeah that was that's the story behind the domain and the name and you know all the things that kind of led up into just transitioning from from jaws over over to that and it's just you know looking back now I mean, it just seems, you know, now, you know, serverless is like such a, you know, massive category, a lot of vendors in the space, you know, every major uh, right. public cloud provider has a, a serverless compute offering. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, that part of it was just, uh, just a wild, surreal experience. All right. So now we're we're into like 2016 at mm-hmm. this point. Um, I think it was still Jaws at that point or whatever, but you started building a company around it. You started getting some other people involved. 
Um, you made the original, you, you made the massive faux pas of community projects where you you changed it to non-backwards compatible when you went from 0.5 to v.1.0 uh, or something like that. I remember being so angry at the time, like, why are they doing this? I've written so much now in the in the old in the old format. And then as soon as the new format came out, I, I absolutely fell in love with that. So no problems there, but um, so what? What was that? What happened there? Like, how did it? How did it start as a company? When did you start bringing people on? And when did you, you know, start start growing this thing? It's so funny that you brought that up because I still, you know, we still get grief for that. Like after, you know, it's been years. <laughs> that was that was 2016. You know, now, <laughs> right now it's 2020. Certainly, a lot of other stuff going on in the world, but I'll still hear from someone back in the day. I can't believe you did a breaking change, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's especially at reInvent when uh, when we go to reInvent, people bring that up and they're you know yeah. they're like finally I get <laughs> to meet the people who made that breaking change and tell them tell them about it. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So you know we I I started as a solo founder, which um, is a whole different type of experience for you know building a company mm -hmm. than I think if you have uh, co-founders. Sure. You know I don't know what the right way is, but I do know that solo founders have to do a lot. And um, uh, so it took me a while to kind of build out the team and do everything because it was just one person trying to still build out the right. software, all that. Uh, but the, the best part of all of this is the community. It's the people who helped along the way and made a huge impact. Like going so you, going back all the way to uh, you know Tim and Ajay on you know the Lambda team, all the great folks there who were pioneering, and you know I, I remember the early conversations we had back then. Not even they really knew what they had yet. It seemed right compared right. to how they talk about right. it today, and everything just seems so clear and obvious now. But back then the conversations were just all over the place. People were trying to describe right. Right. it. It's a weird a weird thing that you see sometimes when stuff takes off, like something takes off before people can describe it, right? And that's uh, mm -hmm. just a, uh, an interesting phenomenon. So they, you know, they did a great job, I think, early on back then, 2015, 2016, there's a lot of the AWS community who helped, you know, who were kind of um, helpful along, along the way. Uh, like, I don't know, Jeremy Edberg, if you know Jeremy, Peter Sansukis, mm -hmm. I can never pronounce his name, um, his last name correctly, you know, Mitch, like these were the original, um, at least in back in 2015, the cool kind of AWS uh, luminaries, <laughs> right? And I'm right. sure you see this, And uh, but it's like the people who are in kind of the AWS, you know, user community, like there's different waves of, of people. But back then it was like Jeremy, Peter and, and Mitch. And, uh, you know, they were certainly helpful. I you know, spent a lot of time chatting with them about this. Uh, we had another another uh, friend of mine, Ryan Pendergast, and who I haven't spoken with for a while, but he was instrumental in really helping mm -hmm. design the first version or the, the first few versions of the framework after we got launched and shaping where it would go. Um, he was great. And uh, back then, also A-Cloud Guru. I mean, credit to them for being some of the early visionaries in the space, Sam and you know Ryan and you know, right. and Ant right. was working with them. They were doing the original serverless conferences, right? So right. I don't know. Were you um, at the first one in in Brooklyn? I can't remember when that was. I think it was 2016. I wasn't. No, I wasn't. It was um, such a 
funky, uh, fun conference that uh, was amazing. It was like this cool little kind of almost divey conference venue in Brooklyn. And it was like the middle of the summer right. in New York and like everybody's sweating. There was like no air conditioning. And there's only, I don't know how many people were there. It's just, I don't even know if we hit a hundred or anything, but uh, you know, a, a cloud guru got in front of this and, you know, really helped, you know, promote the, uh, the movement and all that. And uh, so they should get a lot of credit for that. Uh, Ryan Scott Brown, um, you know, Jared Short, as you know, he was, you know, these were big, big contributors right. early on. Um, you know, Jared especially loved the Jaws stuff. I remember he he, he loved sporting the <laughs> Jaws hoodie. And uh, Harike, Anna from Red Badger, Marcia, who's at AWS now, um, Alex Castleboni. I mean, there's just been so many great people. Rob over at Nordstrom, uh, Eric who's at Nordstrom. Like, it's just, uh, it was one thing to be a solo founder. and But it's another thing to be a solo right. founder with all these great people helping out you know, via open source, working on this project, trying to define like, you know, we all knew right, there's a great new architecture here that could really enable more people than ever, but we got to make it easier. We got to make it accessible. Otherwise, you know, people will be able to, to realize all this. Um, so uh, I think we it only scaled to like a, a few people in 2016. And, you know, for the first couple of years, we just focused on community development. Um, that was it. Right. Like we didn't yeah. do much of anything else And that. A lot of that you know, credit goes to Dan Skolnick, uh, who was you know, kind of uh, one of the original investors in the company. Um, he was over at Trinity Ventures. Now he's um, he's at another firm and he was just he was like, I think, first money in the Docker or at least kind of one of the initial investors in the Docker. So, Mm -hmm. um, he's got great instincts. And I remember he, you know, we had a conversation where he said, just focus on building the community right now. He said, just like, just, right. you know, make that community as, as big as it can be and just take time to focus on that. Um, that was really instrumental, uh, for the company. I'd say to just to hear that, especially coming from an investor say, no, don't worry about anything else. Just like build out the community yeah. and all that. So 2016, 2017, all the way to even like 2018, it was just a lot of like working on the framework which, as I'm sure you know, is no small feat because that thing, you know, no. has grown so much as an architecture in terms of like the surface area it has to cover because it's in the it's in the tough right. position of trying to abstract, create a simpler experience over a growing amount of AWS infrastructure and configuration options and composition options. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of calories to keep that uh, that project going so you know without the open source community without like the, the blessing of our investors you know i don't know how big the framework would you know still be today but that was some of you know right. that was what we focused on back then and i say just instrumental to kind of the growth and the scale that the framework has right now And that's the first part of my serverless chat with Austin Collins. I want to give a huge thank you to Austin for being my guest this week and to our sponsors, New Relic and Amazon Web Services. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com 66. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me. And I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week. <laughs>